Rochelle Young. And I'm Sam Tracy. And you're listening to This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs and drug policy, including news, science, health, and history. This show is an all-volunteer project by students and alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome organization working to end the war on drugs. Every week on This Week in Drugs, we hope to educate the public and decision makers about drugs in order to eliminate harmful misconceptions and improve public policy. And hopefully have some fun while we're at it. We neither condemn nor condone drug use. Rather, we envision a world in which our attitudes and laws surrounding drugs are grounded in science, compassion, health, and human rights. And now it's time for our weekly news and forecast, which during our brief and partial hiatus is the entirety of our show. So Sam and I will bring you some of the biggest drug news from last week and some items to pay attention to for the weeks ahead. Uh, Sam, do you want to hop in with our first story here? Absolutely. So for our first story is actually a pretty positive one. Uh, We've been covering Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte's violent crackdown on drug users for many, many months since his election in June. And things have been getting worse and worse with now 7,000 dead at the hands of police. And as we talked about last week, uh, Duterte even threatening to impose martial law. Uh, But now we actually have one small glimmer of hope in the form of a court challenge where a survivor of a police raid has gone to the country's Supreme Court in an attempt to stop the raids from happening further. Uh, The man's name is uh, Efren Murillo, and he was shot by police in a raid, but only injured while four other men that he was with were killed. Uh, Police claimed that they used violence because the men attacked them, uh, and of course that the men were involved in the drug trade, but Murillo says that they had their hands tied and did nothing to provoke the officers. Uh, The police, according to this article in the Associated Press, shot three of them while they were kneeling on the ground, and the fourth was actually shot while grabbing a police officer's leg to beg for his life after seeing the other three die. And he also says that the group, who were just garbage collectors by trade, had no involvement in illegal drugs whatsoever. Uh, So basically, the police... uh, According to him, at least, and probably true, given what we've been seeing about the the trends in the Philippines, is that they uh, essentially targeted these men, claiming they were part of the drug trade. Uh, They didn't even uh, resist whatsoever, but were were, were still shot and, uh, for one of them, not killed. Uh, So this is exciting uh, because it is really the first serious challenge to the crackdown um, before we've been seeing a little bit of international pressure coming. Uh, But for the most part, uh, there really hasn't been too much of a response other than uh, some other politicians uh, condemning it. Uh, But this is the first thing, you know, a legal challenge that could actually, you know, potentially stop it. So, Tyler, what do you what do you think about this news so far? Yeah, I think this is really interesting. And, you know, I think there's a lot of parallels here that we're looking at at our current administration, because a lot of the reformers that I've been talking to have been saying that, you know, really right now with um, the current administration and, and what everything's looking like is a lot of our fights are going to have to be court fights uh, because that's mm-hmm. just like where there's still some semblance of uh, of like non skewed and like 
relatively like unbiased, mm-hmm. um, you know, thought process going in there because judges are uh, tend to be like a like a little better at being neutral and, and tend to you know look at things a little more critically than uh, legislators right. and, and administrators who are by their nature like supposed to be partisan in many cases because they've been elected on a platform of partisanship. So I think this is really interesting mm-hmm. the way that that courts function here. Um, I think it's awesome that this is happening and, uh, you know, I hope that it's, I hope it's meaningful and I, and I hope that this is like a historic case that really like brings this, uh, brings this program in the Philippines, uh, to a head and like hopefully really mm-hmm. t- takes it, takes the bite out of it. Uh, and people look at that and, and, and really respect the court's decision. I, I mean, I, I am assuming here the court's mm-hmm. going to find everything to be like unconstitutional and like, and not okay. So. Right. Like that would be my mm-hmm. assumption. Uh, and so I hope that mm-hmm. if that's what happens, then people, uh, take that, uh, very seriously coming from, uh, coming from mm-hmm. their justice system like that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I do like just highlighting the point of this being on the the legal side, the court side, because unfortunately, I mean, a, a trend that we often see in democracies is that sometimes the courts are really the only check against uh, the the majority, essentially targeting uh, a minority of people, whether they're drug users in this case, uh, whether that's uh, black people, uh, gay people, uh, pretty much any minority group. I mean, in the United States, a lot of the early uh, progress in the civil rights movement had to be on the court side because democracy didn't work there because people actually supported these terrible policies. Right. And so uh, here, hopefully we'll, we'll see that same sort of thing in the Philippines. But uh, I honestly don't know the composition of their courts. And I hope that they are, yeah. you know, on the human rights side rather than just being similar to Duterte. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but I think this is a really interesting development. And it's in, it'll be interesting to see what happens when another branch of the government uh, gets involved in, uh, in this whole mm-hmm. in this whole scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next story, uh, which comes from uh, Maryland. Uh, and this is uh, the Maryland governor, uh, Larry Hogan, has proposed a package of bills to, quote, fight the opiate em- epidemic. And these bills look more like prohibition than anything else. Um, so on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan announced new measures aimed at addressing the state's growing opioid epidemic. Uh, and these measures include proposals to limit prescriptions for pain medications and increase prison terms for drug sellers convicted of distributing opioids that result in lethal overdoses. Um, Mm-hmm. This is, you know, basically the same story. We've seen this time and time again. We saw this in uh, Michigan and Illinois and Wisconsin and Ohio. Uh, we've seen attempts here in Denver, or I guess suppose Colorado, um, mm-hmm. of just like trying to get tougher with a, with this veneer of like we're trying to solve the problem and be compassionate and we're being compassionate by locking up the people who sold these drugs that have like harmed other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see the same thing in Massachusetts. I know uh, our governor, Charlie Baker, who's, you know, kind of the moderate Republican type, which I do think uh, Larry Hogan of Maryland also falls under. Certainly. Um, he, he's praising in his, his state of the state speech um, about how they've, of course, done kind of these same things of limiting uh, prescriptions for pain medication, which I think does have a small positive impact because uh, overprescription is a bit of a problem, but is definitely, you know, it, it, it's 
a, a, a minimal thing that you can do and I don't think will have that huge of an impact. Um, and also, yeah, talking about, oh, now we criminalize fentanyl distribution more. Um, like that's going to do anything, but they're just, oh, we can now blame this this other specific opioid that people haven't heard of before and kind of scapegoat that as the whole problem will just criminalize it more and it'll, it'll stop, uh, which obviously isn't actually going to work in, in his budget. He actually uh, trimmed... Uh, many hundreds of thousands of dollars, I believe, from uh, opioid treatment uh, programs as part of a, a larger budget cut. Um, and ha- just has been doing a lot of counterproductive things, too. So unfortunately, I, I think both Republicans and Democrats do fall victim to this because it's kind of a easy fix that they can point to and say that they're doing something. But unfortunately, as, as we've seen with pretty much... Uh, any kind of uh, drug crisis, it usually doesn't actually help. Right. And, and I think also um, not only does it not help, but I think that it's a bad idea. Uh, and mm-hmm. then some people you know, might think this is surprising coming from me. I think it's a bad idea for the government to get involved in this case. Right. Like I mm-hmm. like governments should not get in between healthcare providers and their patients yeah, like that's fair. like Larry Hogan mm-hmm. is not a medical doctor um, and mm-hmm. is also not in the room with people who are getting prescribed these things. And anyways, I just think that, you know, this is one of those things that regardless of the actual public health outcome of like maybe this ban reduces uh, some people like, you know, ending up in problematic mm-hmm. situations like I just don't I, I think that it is uh, a bad idea for a government to get between their healthcare people's health providers, uh, healthcare providers and the patients. Like that's, mm-hmm. I think just a really bad precedent to set. Um, yeah, I think it's worth, yeah. Same thing with medical marijuana right. and pretty much any other thing exactly. that that's really been the big defense yeah. to being able to allow recommendations and yeah. such. Um, yeah. and I think that it's also really, uh, you know, I want to point this out here too. Um, I, I think that this, this is one of the cases where I really think, that we, if we're talking about intent, uh, Governor Hogan is coming from, is trying to come from a place of compassion. Um, his own brother passed away uh, mm-hmm. due to an opiate-related overdose, and um, you know I think mm-hmm. that this is something. This is something that we run into a lot as drug policy reformers, as people who have been impacted very negatively by drugs and, and people who use drugs, and and mm-hmm. it's. I think a natural reaction for a lot of folks to want to like get tougher and fight back and they view the drugs as the enemy because to them, the drugs are kind of like what caused that, what caused that, uh, that to happen. Um, and I think it's, Mm. it's hard because like, it feels really callous to say, no, you're not thinking systematically about the problem, but like, that's kind of the case here. Um, but anyways, I I think it's important to to point out that this, like, I think is coming from a serious place of compassion and like hurt. And, you know, I, am certain that uh, governor Hogan thinks this is a good idea. And I just hope that the Mm -hmm. Maryland, uh, legislature, uh, does not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a really good point you make that when people's lives are impacted by overdose or or other forms of drug abuse, I feel like it's very natural to to get passionate about fixing that problem in some way. But you could kind of either become a more ardent prohibitionist uh, or you could become more of a drug policy reformer. Um, And and it's kind of up to us to make sure that those people understand and help uh, bring them into the movement. Um, to, to actually get to the root of the, some of these problems. Mm-hmm. And so for, uh, for our next story here, uh, speaking of overdose, uh, this one is 
a, a story out of the UK um, from Northumbria University, which is a school in England, uh, and they have just been ordered to pay a fine of four hundred thousand pounds, which is actually almost exactly five hundred thousand uh, dollars U.S. dollars uh, for accidentally giving two students potentially, luckily not actually lethal in this case, uh, but potentially lethal doses of caffeine. Uh, so the two students, uh, this happened to two people, they were in the school's sports science program uh, where people, you know, learn about exercise medicine often to become physical trainers or, or, or physical therapists. And so they both volunteered to be part of an experiment testing the effects of caffeine on exercise. But instead of being given what they're supposed to be given, which was 0.3 grams of caffeine, they each re received 30 grams. So 100 times more than they were supposed to uh, because someone screwed up the decimal point in a calculation uh, that according to the court proceedings was done on a smartphone. And so that's equivalent to 300 cups of coffee. Uh, and they both wound up with very severe symptoms. But after spending time in intensive care, uh, they both made uh, full recoveries. So this is a, a really terrifying story. Um, luckily, they, they didn't die here. But as a reminder from our drug of the month, I, I went back to refer to it. And for caffeine, the LD50, at which half of people would die of an overdose, is estimated to be between 150 and 200 milligrams per kilogram of body mass, which means a person who's 154 pounds uh, would need over 10 grams. So that's 30 coffees. But in this case, they got 30 grams, uh, 300 coffees, um, and... Yeah, and so they're probably big guys. Uh, people in these uh, programs tend to be, you know, incredibly athletic, and so they might have had a lot of body mass, but that was still an absurd amount. And uh, very lucky that they uh, that they didn't die from this. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that they're okay. I saw this headline uh, scrolling through Facebook a few days ago, and and just wow, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm empathetically sweating for them. That is so upsetting. I mean, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think you're right. It's a powerful reminder that like all drugs can be dangerous and uh, it's mm -hmm. really kind of a situational thing and it comes down to like responsible and like appropriate usage and like you know mm -hmm. th this was not it was irresponsible that like the math was wrong uh, but even in this like highly controlled case like this this specific drug became very dangerous mm -hmm. and life-threatening um yeah. yeah i mean drugs are just things you know they're not, like not good or bad mm -hmm. or necessarily benign or or malignant like they just like they just are um mm -hmm. and you can kill anyone with anything yeah, yeah. The going back to the dose makes the poison. In this case, yeah. this was an incredibly high dose, and um, and in this case, I do also just want to highlight that one important thing here that kind of caused this was that the school had recently switched from using caffeine tablets to using caffeine powder. Um, and as we talked about in the drug of the month, uh, it's it's a lot easier uh, to overdose using powder because a lot of people don't understand what the reference point is for how much is a lot because it's not uh, something that you're generally familiar with. Um, and it's so potent that even a small miscalculation, like in this case, um, it's a lot easier to uh, give someone far too much powder and not have any red flags go off versus, oh, my calculation says you have to take 40 tablets. That must be off. Right. And so... Uh, it, it's very important for people to, to really understand that, especially if you're doing this at home outside of a, you know, a medical experiment environment. Yeah, absolutely. So be careful with caffeine powder. Um, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Certainly. 
Cool. So our next story here comes out of Washington. And uh, before I get going with the headline, I'd like to say that this may be the most 2016 headline ever uh, here in 2017. Um, So in Washington state, uh, a bill has recently been introduced that would make it illegal to pay for weed with Bitcoin. Um, So Mm -hmm. like I just. I just like really can't I like can't even with this uh, (laughs) with this actually being a real thing that we're talking about right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is a vice vice dot com article. Yeah. Although I I suppose everyone probably already knew. Yeah. I mean, you know, (laughs) like what like what I like. Yeah, it is. um, Yeah, it is so vice. And uh, so state Mm -hmm. senators Steve Conway and Ann Rivers have proposed a bill that would prohibit local cannabis businesses from buying or selling products using Bitcoin. Um, Basically, it says, you know, quote, uh, marijuana producer, processor, retail outlet must not pay with or accept virtual currency for the purchase or sale of marijuana or any marijuana product. Um, And virtual currency includes digital currency in this bill. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I... I, (laughs) It's just like, I really don't know where to start. Um, And so I I think what I do want to start with is that the article talks about a lot of opposition in the state, and it seems unlikely that this bill is going to pass. Um, There is, uh, you know, they they interviewed the director of marketing for um, for a wholesale marijuana uh, uh, seller, and uh, they were talking about how it's kind of, you know, it's a stretch to single out a specific industry to be excluded from using a particular type of payment. Um, And like Mm -hmm. that's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, like legal meat to be worked with there. Um, And and yeah, it's just it's uh, it's it's interesting that they single out marijuana businesses mm-hmm. for this very specific payment uh, when they're yeah. already so like so heavily restricted on a federal banking level. Like it's just like mm-hmm. one more thing to get in the way of people doing business. And, and Sam, I, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this, because this is kind of your uh, your life's work at this point. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what's <laughs> yeah, my world's. Collided. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> what's uh, so how mm-hmm. are you feeling about uh, Bitcoin uh, being no longer a viable option for Washingtonians to buy their marijuana. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, ha- I'm struggling trying to figure out where this is coming from because, uh, on one hand, my assumption is that these these state senators think of this as being like a, a more shady, anonymous kind of way to pay for marijuana. Um, in terms of, like that's what a lot of people think about Bitcoin that it's like oh it's anonymous and scary people use it to buy illegal things but this is talking for one thing about legal marijuana that the state's already regulating and it's also as we've talked about a ton is a cash business which actually is anonymous because the the true thing about Bitcoin is it's not actually anonymous it's it's pseudonymous so like you can have um, it's incredibly traceable. Um, it's just a matter of matching the name on uh, on the Bitcoin network on the blockchain over t- and matching it to a person. But you can see exactly where it is all the time. It's not um, anonymous like actually cash would be and is. Um, so it seems it's just very hard to wrap my head around what they're trying to achieve with this. Um, and it is also, I mean, looking at the article, it does sound like there's maybe more use of Bitcoin out in Washington state. Um 
as we've talked about on the show, I mean, I, I work in the marijuana industry and I've actually, none of the dispensaries I've ever been to or, or worked with, I don't think use Bitcoin um, or even support that, but maybe there is, you know, out in the Pacific Northwest, more demand for that from customers. Um, and so, so maybe that is the case. Um, but yeah, it seems to be coming from a weird place. And maybe if this, these state senators knew that it was traceable, maybe they would be requiring Bitcoin instead. I don't know. It seems like a strange thing and hopefully this doesn't become law because it does seem like a very silly target um, to you know be doing this for marijuana and not for alcohol or cigarettes or or any other product that's regulated in a similar way nowadays yeah it just seems like two different types of stigma uh, against yeah. uh, people who use uh, digital currency and, and people who purchase uh, cannabis so uh, yeah you know. this person probably just like really hates some employees at Amazon that are like his neighbors or something <laughs> right. and is like I'm gonna stick it to <laughs> right, them like the, <laughs> their weeds and their wit- their bitcoins the stamp kids yeah <laughs> the things they love the most um, mm-hmm. double win <laughs> yeah uh, definitely um, you know I, I'm hopeful that the the uh, the folks that quoted in this article are correct and that, uh, this won't hold any water, uh, but certainly we'll let mm-hmm. you know if it does. Um, anyways, yeah, this mm-hmm. is just, uh, I, I still, can, I still can't get one. over it. I, I just really can't. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. I will briefly get over it, uh, to move <laughs> on <laughs> into our headlines, uh, and then I'll come right back. Um, <laughs> but our first headline, our first quick hit headline here comes from fredericksburg.com, uh, in Virginia, the house of representatives passed a bill that would, uh, approve the sale of 151 proof liquor and that bill now goes to the senate for a vote there awesome congrats virginia and uh, for our next headline, uh, Edwin Lee, who is the mayor of San Francisco, mentioned safe injection facilities in his State of the City speech last week, saying, and here's a big quote, and as I said earlier this month, I will continue to learn about the effectiveness of safe injection services. We must thoroughly assess whether the public health and safety benefits outweigh any negative impacts, end of quote. So while not exactly a glowing endorsement, it is also a very good signal because to the best of my knowledge, this is the first time a mayor's ever mentioned safe injection in their uh, state of the city speech. Word. And in Indiana, the Clark County, uh, the county, Clark County has approved a needle exchange program and is now in effect. Awesome. And for the final headline, uh, Ethiopia and Kenya are experiencing a boom in the production and consumption of cat, which is a mild stimulant native to Africa. The Economist had a really good article on it that we'll link to in the show notes. Awesome. And that brings us right up to our weekly forecast. Uh, Mine is pretty timely. Uh, Coming up uh, at the end of this week, the SSDP Sensible Celebration is coming up after the Women Grow Leadership Conference. And we'll have a link to all the information in the show notes here. Awesome. And so for my forecast is kind of a heads up about a cool project that's currently uh, in production. Um, And so it's out in California and it's called the Hood Incubator. So it's a startup run by three black women with the aim of helping people transition from working in the black market of marijuana to running state legal marijuana businesses now that uh, Amendment 64 or Proposition 64 uh, passed in California. And so as they point out in their introductory video, and as we've, of course, talked 
talked a lot about on the show too. The marijuana industry is currently very much dominated by uh, white men. Uh, and while people of color have been the ones bearing the brunt of the enforcement of prohibition, it's been really difficult uh, to actually get a foothold in the, this new industry, which often requires huge amounts of capital and, and uh, experience in kind of other industries. And so the hood incubator, they're trying to help get people of color into the newly legal marijuana industry. And they're currently crowdfunding on generosity.com. So we'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. And we encourage you to donate if you want to help a group who's doing the, the real legwork uh, and all the groundwork here for creating a more diverse marijuana industry. And so that's everything for uh, this week, uh, episode 81 uh, for our weekly news and forecast, which is pretty much the whole episode during our hiatus. Uh, But as always, uh, even during the hiatus, there's a lot going on, especially with the new presidential administration and a lot of state legislative sessions happening. So if you hear about anything really interesting to you, feel free to to send it to us. You can send us a a message on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com.